Welcome to Thrive Church Online. My name is Kathy and I'm going to be your online host for today. If it's your first time here, you're a VIP, so please set us up by texting you at 604-285-5770 or info, and we'll mail you your very own Thrive Stainless Steel water bottle. Parents, don't forget to go to info slash Thrive Kids to access the Thrive Kids curriculum. There you can find the worship video, the lesson video, a resource sheet that you can download, print, and do with the kids, and there's going to be Zoom classes every Sunday from June 1045 to 1115 a.m. We love a proactive church, so this week I would love to know if you're attending sunrise or sunset. The biggest difference that I've noticed during daylight savings is that before daylight savings, I was able to wake up, make coffee, eat breakfast, and watch the sunrise. But now after daylight savings, I wake up, the sun is already up, and I really miss seeing that sunrise. So what about you? Are you attending sunrise or sunset? to see all your beautiful faces take a selfie of yourself tuning in today post it on your social media using hashtag drive church online are you ready for today's message i'm now going to pass the time over to pastor jb and i'll see you all later Hello, everybody, and welcome to Thrive Church Online. My name is JB. I'm one of the pastors here at Thrive, and I am so excited to welcome you to an amazing Sunday here at Thrive Church Online. If this is your first time here, you're what we call our VIP, and we are so thrilled to have you here with us today. Whether you stumbled upon us online or a friend invited you, we are just so glad that you're here. In fact, we've got a special gift for you just to say thank you so much for joining us today. There's a Thrive stainless steel water bottle waiting just for you. If you want to go to mythrive.info, click the button that says new to thrive. And we'd love to mail your own Thrive Church stainless steel water bottle straight to your door. Just a way to say thank you so much for joining us today. Can we give all of our VIPs a big hand? Let's put together right now. So good to have you here. If you're joining us after having joined us last week at Easter, so good to have you here as well. If you've been with us even before that, of course, welcome back today. In fact, we've got a saying here at Thrive, which is that welcoming is not just what you do, it's who we are. And so with that in mind, would you welcome one of the church today in your chat rooms right now? Would you say, hey, welcome VIPs, welcome everybody. Let's welcome out of the house of God today. If you're sitting beside somebody, you got a neighbor there, would you give them a high five, a handshake, a warm hug, or an air version of any of those? And let's just Welcome one another to the house of God today. You guys are an amazing church. We love you guys so much, and it's always a joy to spend time with all of you. We're going to get into a brand new series today that I'm so excited about. But before we do that, let me just tell you a couple things that are happening very, very soon. Next week, April 18th, it's a Sunday, we have our next Meet the Pastors on Zoom. And we would love to see you there, especially if you're new to Thrive. If you've just recently joined us, we would love to meet you in person. We'd love to meet you through this meeting called Meet the Pastors. 
pastors on Zoom. It's an informal online way just to get connected, just to get to know you. If you've got questions about Thrive, we're there to answer them. If you've got questions about anything at all, we'd love to be there for you. And so would you sign up at mythrive.info, click the button, meet the pastors, and we'd love to see you there. We're going to be doing that twice, one after our 9.30 a.m. service, the other one after 11.30 a.m. service. We would love to see you there. To your neighbor and say, I can't wait to meet the pastors. <laughs> I can't wait to meet you guys. Pastor Shar will be there as well. And, uh, you know, we're going to have other people there. Great chance to meet other Thrivers. Come and join us at Meet the Pastors, especially if you're new here at Thrive. Another thing that's happening, it's happening April the 24th and 25th, two weeks from now. We've got our next baptism weekend. And we are so excited about that. Baptism, if you're wondering, is just an opportunity for us, for those who've said yes to Jesus. You've said, I believe in Jesus. I believe he died on the cross for me. If you believe that, then you can get baptized. And we encourage you to make the most of this opportunity. April 24, April 25 is our baptism weekend. We're here at the Thrive Center. We're going to set up a pool for you. We're going to sanitize before and after. You can set up a time or register for a time slot. And we're trying to make sure everyone who's wanting to get baptized, they can do so in a safe way, fully confident that you can do that. Uh, and we're going to, you can invite a couple friends to join you as well. It's going to be an amazing time to celebrate the life that we have in Jesus. And so make sure you sign up at mythrive.info, press the button, baptism. If you've got questions about baptism, you can click that same link as well. If you're wondering, I'm not too sure. If you've got questions, you can also go there as well. You can also come to meet the pastors and ask us as well. We'd love in any way to serve you. We can let us know. You can also email us at info at thrivechurch.ca. Well, that's happening two weeks from now, baptism weekend, April 24th, 25th. Don't miss that opportunity uh, to declare your faith in Jesus. We'd love to see you there. Now it's time for the message. You guys ready for that? Would you grab your Bibles right now? Maybe yours is a paper Bible like mine. Maybe yours is a device you download the Bible into. Either way is cool. If you didn't bring a Bible, that's okay. We encourage you to maybe get one one day. But in the meantime, why don't you hold up your Bible like this if you have one. If you didn't bring one, you can point to my Bible if you'd like just for fun. This is a fun way for us to get our hearts ready for the message as we get into it right now. So why don't you say this with me together right now. We're going to say, this is my Bible. It is God's word. I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have. I can do what it says I can do. Today, I open up my heart so that God's word can come in and change my life. And I will never be the same. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 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 Hey, by the way, if you are used to listening to the sermons in English that we provide here at Thrive Church Online, but you like the benefit of having Chinese subtitles, because here at church, we are a multicultural church, you, we, we now have something very special for you, is that if you go to mythrive.info and you press the button sermon outlines, you can now get full access to the entire sermon outline in Chinese and in English, so you can follow along in case you could use the assistance of having Chinese subtitles. It's going to be there for you from now on. You might not see it on the main site, on the main screen, but you can have it there. It's all going to be there for you. And our hope is that down the road, we'll have not just you know Chinese translated outlines, but we'll also have it maybe in Spanish one day, maybe in Japanese one day, uh, you know, maybe in French one day. It's one of those things because we're a multicultural church. We want to be serving the people in different cultures as best as we can. And so turn neighbor, give him a high five and say, we are a multicultural church. 
We're a multicultural church, and we're so glad that you're here. Whatever background you come from, maybe you're not coming from any kind of background at all. Maybe you're completely new to church. Well, if that's you, then we are especially thrilled that you're here. Uh, the fact is, we hope that you find that Thrive Church is a safe place for you, a place where you can be yourself, a place where you can find community, a place where you can find some hope and some encouragement. If we can pray for you in any way, let us know at info at thrivechurch.ca. We'd love to you know, do whatever we can to serve you, and we can't wait to hear from you as well. Well, today I'm super excited to launch a brand new message series with you. It's called Waiting for Sunrise, How to Keep Your Hope Alive Through the Book of Isaiah. And you might be wondering, why are we calling this series Waiting for Sunrise? It's because I believe so many of us today are going through a period of waiting. All of us were waiting for COVID case numbers to go down. All of us were waiting for coronavirus to be a thing of the past. All of us are waiting for life to go back to normal or as normal as it can be. But maybe for you in a more specific way, you're also waiting. You're maybe waiting for some good news to come and you're still waiting for that news. Or maybe you're waiting for a situation in your life to turn around, a relationship to improve, a breakthrough in your life. Maybe you're pregnant, you're expecting and you're waiting. You're waiting for that day when the baby will be born. In the meantime, you're excited. You're also kind of scared. All of us in different ways can find ourselves in a time of waiting. And when you're waiting a long time, how do you keep your hope alive? We're looking at that as we look at the book of Isaiah starting today. And see, we're not just going to be studying the book of Isaiah on Sundays together here at Throughout Church Online, but how many of us know that every day we're also studying the Bible? In this case, starting tomorrow, we're going to be starting to study the book of Isaiah as well. And you can do that with us by signing up for uh, our Pastor JB's game time sharings. You can subscribe to that at mythought.info. Uh, and you can also come to the church office or contact us and we can give you what's called a game booklet. And a game booklet, a game, if you know what it stands for, the game stands for the God and me experience. because we believe that you were meant to experience God, not just on a Sunday, but every day. It's a daily relationship with God. And we want to encourage you to get into learning to read the Bible every day. We're going to pray every day. It's part of, part of having a daily relationship with God. And as part of that, we give you guys what's called a game booklet. And you can pick one up. You can sign up for that. Go to info at thrivechurch.ca. You can email us. And we'd love to set you up with your very own game booklet so that you can be reading with us the book of Isaiah, not just on Sundays, but every day. And we would love for you to be a part of that as well. So sign up for Pastor JB's game time sharings. Uh, go to mythought.info for that. Go and email us as well, info at thrivechurch.ca for your very own game book as well. Turn your neighbor and say, the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. Well, hey, let's talk about the book of Isaiah. Why are we looking at the book of Isaiah? See, Isaiah is sometimes known as the prince of the prophets. Is that in the Bible, you're going to have you know, the Old Testament, the New Testament. Within the Old Testament, there is a section called the prophets, different prophetic books. And oftentimes, Isaiah is known as the prince of the prophets. Why? Well, there's a couple reasons why. The first reason why Isaiah is sometimes known as the prince of the prophets is because many scholars believe that Isaiah may have been actually part of the Jewish nobility or even the Jewish royal family at one point or another. And that's why he had such easy access to some of the kings that he ministered. Too. That's one reason why sometimes he's called the prince of the prophets. But there's another reason why, and this is an even more important reason. The reason why the book of Isaiah is sometimes known as the prince of the prophets is because when you read the book of Isaiah, you find that there's a certain majesty 
that is in the book of Isaiah that kind of sets it apart from almost any other book in the Bible. Let me give you four reasons why Isaiah is such a special book in the Bible. See, the first reason is this. There's probably no book in the Bible that gives a more complete, comprehensive view of who God is is that on one hand, when you read the book of Isaiah, you're gonna see that God is holy. He is so incredibly holy and just. He cannot have any sin stand in his presence. Evil cannot stand in his presence because he is holy. He is perfect. He is just. And yet on the other hand, Isaiah also communicates how God is so compassionate and merciful. And so he's not just this just judge, but he's also a compassionate friend. He's not just this holy God, but he's also merciful. He's not just powerful, but he's also vulnerable in a way. not just strong, but he's also suffering. And we get this very comprehensive view of who God is. If you want to get to know God better, then the book of Isaiah is an excellent book to read. Another one is the reason why Isaiah is so special is because there's probably no other book in the Bible, or at least no other book in the Old Testament, that covers the entire biblical story the way that Isaiah does. Is that from creation in Genesis to the new heavens and the earth, that Revelation, the last book of the Bible talks about, you could say that Isaiah is almost like a mini Bible in and of itself. Is that the Bible, you know, if you have your Bible, it has two big parts to it. There's the Old Testament, there's the New Testament. And there's 39 books in the Old Testament, there's 27 books in the New Testament. That's the Old and the New. How many know that similarly, Isaiah has two big parts to it? There's the first 39 books of the, uh, or there's the 39 chapters of Isaiah, and there's the 27 last chapters of Isaiah. And when you compare the two, you're going to find that the first 39 chapters of Isaiah amazingly really reflect the first 39 books of the Bible called the Old Testament. And the, fir- the last 27 chapters of Isaiah really reflect the last 27 books of the Bible called the New Testament. It's kind of funny that way, is that on one hand, the first part is talking a lot about judgment, God's judgment. He's a just and holy God. The last part is talking a lot about hope, the hope we have because a savior is coming to the world. His name is Jesus. And you're going to find this, is that this, this, the, the, these themes of judgment and hope, of judgment and mercy, they, they, they're, they're not just kind of monolithic where it's like, okay, the first part is all about judgment. The second part is all about mercy, but it's actually almost like a tennis match. It's almost like judgment on one side, mercy on the other. And there's this dialogue, this interplay between mercy and God's judgment, you know, God's holiness and God's compassion. And it's going back and forth all throughout the book of Isaiah. It's a really beautiful thing. And so the Isaiah, the book of Isaiah in many ways is considered a Bible in many form. And so if you want to know the Bible better, then Isaiah is a great book to study as well. A third reason why the book of Isaiah is so special is that 700 years before Jesus lived, Isaiah wrote down some of the most important prophecies about this Messiah, this Savior King that God would one day send to be the Savior of his people, and how this Messiah would be born of a virgin, how this Messiah would not just be a man, a human being, but he would also be God, he would be called Wonderful, Mighty God, you know, and, and not only that, but, but this Messiah would suffer and die for the sins of the people, and then he would rise again to life. All of this is in the book of Isaiah. In fact, the reason number four why Isaiah is so special is that you could, possibly, you could use the book of Isaiah to explain the entire gospel. Do you know that? Once I had a friend 
who was a really good friend of mine through high school, even into university. And I remember after years of getting to know him, I was like, you know, we, were, we, we, we sat at, my, at the back of my, my house and we're eating these, these sandwiches from Subway. And, uh, and all of a sudden, you know, we, we started getting a conversation about Jesus and the Bible and, and what Christians believe. And, 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 and I used the book of Isaiah and just the book of Isaiah to basically share with him about the gospel message, how God loves us, made us for a relationship with him, how sin got in the way, how sin damages our relationships with people, it destroys our relationship with God, and how because of our sin, God sent a savior to save us from our sins, and how by trusting in Jesus, we can find forgiveness, we can find salvation, and we can find peace, not just with God, but with people as well. And see, that whole gospel message of Jesus Christ, all of it is in the book of Isaiah itself. It's no wonder that when you look at the New Testament, the New Testament writers quoted the book of Isaiah almost more than any other book in the Bible, just other than the Psalms. And, and so this is going to be a really special series as we systematically go through the book of Isaiah and learn how you can keep your hope alive. Through. We're going to learn so many important lessons, but one of the biggest takeaways from the book of Isaiah is this. Hope is not just a feeling. Hope is a person, and his name is Jesus. And see, hope is not just something that we manufacture, something that we work up, but it's the byproduct of having a vibrant relationship with Jesus Christ. And the way we experience hope, the way we keep hope alive is not just going to rouse, going rah, rah, all this, but it's about drawing near to Jesus. It's about understanding who God is and applying his word to our lives. That's where hope comes from. And that's what we're going to do in this series called Waiting for Sunrise. You guys ready for Waiting for Sunrise? Turn neighbor and say, I can't wait to wait for sunrise. I can't wait to wait for sunrise. I'm not sure if that made sense or not, but yeah, we, we're, we're waiting for sunrise. But the fact is this, is we're going to look at Isaiah chapter 2 today. And I want to encourage you to have your Bibles open, especially for a series like this. Because you're going to find that having the passage in front of you, and if you have a pen or something you can highlight with on your phone, it's going to help you so much to get as much as possible from these passages from Isaiah that we're going to be looking at together. We're going to look at Isaiah chapter 2, verse 1 to 5. I want to thank our media team for creating this awesome setup for us where we've got a screen today to show you some of the scriptures. It's also in front of you as well. But let's read Isaiah chapter 2, 1 to 5 together. In fact, this passage we're going to read, also you can find it almost word for word in the book of Micah, which is another prophetic book in the Old Testament. And we're like, wow, like two prophets saying the same thing? Well, the, most scholars believe that Micah actually borrowed this from Isaiah, that it originally came from Isaiah, and we're going to look at it right now in Isaiah chapter 2, starting with verse 1. Let's read in a big, loud voice together. What does it say? It says, this is what Isaiah, son of Amoz, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as chief among the mountains. It will be raised above the hills and all nations will stream to it. Many peoples will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Come, O house of Jacob, let us walk in the light 
of the Lord. See what's going on in this passage. See, by this point, this is about 700 years before Jesus was born, about 700 BC. About that time, the Jewish people are living in two kingdoms. There's the northern kingdom called Israel. There's the southern kingdom called Judah. And the Jewish people were kind of spread between those two kingdoms, the northern and the southern. Isaiah is living in the southern kingdom called Judah. And as a prophet, he will end up ministering in Judah for the reigns of four different kings. There's Uzziah, there's Jotham, there's Ahaz, and Hezekiah. And when you, when you study the history of these four kings, you're going to find that there was a tremendous amount of fighting during the reigns of these four kings, when Isaiah was a prophet, is that these, that, that was the, the, the nation of Judah, the kingdom of Judah was constantly in war with other nations. And, you know, it, it was one, something where they were a smaller country, but they were fighting, you know, the Ammonites, they're fighting the Philistines. Most of all, they had the threat of Assyria. Assyria at that time in that region was the biggest, most powerful empire of them all. And a lot of war going on. Judah being a smaller nation was always fear what Assyria might do. In fact, around that time, you know, Assyria would conquer the northern kingdom of Israel, take, capture them, and Judah is hearing about it and going, oh my goodness, what's going to happen to us? And so living in Judah during Isaiah's time was like living in a war zone. Have you ever lived in a war zone before? You know, I'm really fortunate, having grown up in Canada, you know, I haven't lived through a war where Canada was involved uh, in a major way. But, you know, the closest I can get to it is this, is that when my wife Charlene and I first got married, we made a big decision to move to a place called Taiwan, a beautiful island in Asia called Taiwan. It's a small island, but it's got the population of Canada. Uh, and, and, and the thing is that, you know, it was our first big decision together. I've shared with you in previous messages some of the struggles I went through adjusting to living in a new country, uh, as would anybody. But the fact is that when I moved to, moved to Taiwan, uh, having grown up all my life in Canada, having never lived or, or been to Taiwan before, I was completely ignorant about the history of Taiwan. Didn't study it at all. And then I'm living in Taiwan, and I'm going on the news on TaipeiTimes.com, and, and, I'm, and I'm reading all this news about how China is gathering more and more weapons and pointing them in the direction of Taiwan. And I'm reading about how Taiwan is building up arms to fight China, and like, what?! Like, what's going on? I have no idea what's going on. And, like, and I was like, sure, I didn't know that we were moving into a war zone. And you know, I was actually really scared that you know, there would be an attack while we were there. And I'd go to my small group in Taiwan, and hey, how can we pray for you? And it's like, yeah, I'm really scared that China's going to attack. And they'd, like, oh, they'd laugh at me and all that stuff. And this is the thing, to help me feel better about living in what I felt was like a war zone. You know what it did? It, for some reason, it really helped me to do this. I decided to pack a suitcase. And in that suitcase, I called it my emergency, it was called, I called it my emergency war suitcase. Is that, is that if there was a, I put clothes in there, I put water bottles in there, I put some extra snacks in there, I put a toothbrush and toothpaste in there, you know, and in the front, I put some extra money in there, and in the front pocket, I put two pink garbage bags. Why two garbage bags? It's because back then, Charlene and I, we had a lot of stuffed animals, and I thought, okay, if, if, if one day China attacks, then I, I can go to this, you know, go, go back to the house. I'll grab the garbage bags. I'll put all our stuffed animals into the garbage bags, and then we're off and ready to go. That was just my silly way of thinking how I'm going to survive in the, in, 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 in the event of an attack. And, you know, fortunately, that attack never happened. And, and praise God that in, in this time, you know, I look at Thrive. I'm just 
was really touched to see people from China, people from Taiwan serving together, loving one another, being one family together. Amen? Regardless of what your political bent is, the fact is we are one in Christ. Our identity, more than anything else, is in Jesus. And because of that, we can come from different backgrounds and still be one family that's very much in love. If you believe that, say amen. Amen. Even on our media team, just really touch to see people from Taiwan, people from China working together because that's a really beautiful thing. But see, here's the thing. Why do I mention that? It's because when you're living in a war zone, you long for a time of peace. When you're living in the midst of a war, you long for peace. And it's in this context, because Isaiah is living in a time which is a war zone for him in the land of Judah. God speaks to Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 2 and basically says, hey, Isaiah, there's going to come a day when the most dominant idea in people's minds and the most pressing concern in people's hearts won't be the threat of war, but it will be worshiping the Lord. And at that time, people from different nations will seek my face together. And as a result of seeking my face together, there will finally be peace among the nations. That's the beautiful vision that God gives to Isaiah. And maybe you find yourself in a war zone yourself right now. Maybe at home, it's a bit of a war zone. Like, you know, just like, not just visually, kind of like everything's a mess, but you just feel like it's a war zone when it comes to the relationships in your home. You're all often at war with your family, at war with your parents, at war with your kids, at war with your relatives. Maybe you find that in your marriage, it's often a war. You find that maybe it's a war at work or it's a war with the government, whatever it is. And, and it's, you find that as soon as one battle ends, another battle just begins. It's like, oh my goodness, when is this going to end? Have you ever felt that way before? And see, what can you do to keep hope alive when you're in the middle of a war zone and when you're just wishing for peace? What can you do? Let me give you some lessons we can learn from Isaiah chapter two on that. Number one, don't just focus on the moment you're in. Keep the last days in sight. Remember the end goal. I'm gonna highlight some things for you right now. In Isaiah chapter two, and we're gonna look at verse two right now. Would you, in your own Bible, highlight these words? In the last days. Would you underline that? In the last days. See, the Bible has, and it's particularly the book of Isaiah has, messages for people in Isaiah's time, but they also have messages for people living centuries later. God is giving Isaiah messages for people at, in, in 700 BC, for the people of Judah, but he's also going to give Isaiah messages for people who are going to live much, much later than that. And in some cases, as in the case here, he's speaking to the last days, which is when Jesus comes again, which is basically the very, very end. And, and what is he saying? In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as chief among the mountains. See, why does God get Isaiah to focus on the last days? Why is it that in a time of uncertainty, a time of turmoil, a time of unrest, a time of war, God is getting Isaiah to focus on the last days? Why? It's because sometimes we can get discouraged when we're only focusing on the moment we're in. You know that? Sometimes we're just so, you know, deeply entrenched in our problem, in our situation, in our circumstance, that that's all we can think of. We're just so, like, so just like depressed by it. We're so frustrated by it. And that's all we can see. And so if God was going to Isaiah and kind of shaking him a bit and going, hey, remember this. That's not all there is. 
Remember the last days. See, Isaiah 2 is a reminder that God doesn't just see you right now. He doesn't just see you in your recent past. He sees where you're going to be 5, 10, 20, 50 years from now. It says God has it all in his book already. God sees you in the last days as well. And see, when you know that God doesn't just see you now, but he sees where you're going to be a year from now, or 10 years from now, or 50 years from now, all of a sudden, there's a reason for hope because you know that God is with you. And see, maybe you've heard the saying, begin with the end in mind. The idea that before you start any project, before you start any venture, you want to have a vision of what it's going to be like at the end, what you want to see at the end. So begin with the end in mind. I want to give you another saying today. Don't just begin with the end in mind, but when you're in the middle of something tough, persevere with the end in mind persevere with the end in mind. Think of how you want your story to end and live your life in light of that story, not in light of that ending, not just in light of the moment you're in, but in light of those last days. See, Hebrews 12 says that Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. What does that mean? In other words, Hebrews 12 is saying that Jesus, the way he got through all the suffering he went through, the way he got to the cross and let himself die on a cross is not because he was focused on the moment. It's because he had a joy set before him. He was focused on a later day, on the last days, when maybe just maybe you could be with him. Who is the joy that Jesus set before him when he was enduring the cross? It is you. You are that joy. You are the joy that Jesus set before himself so that when he went to the cross, he had you in mind. And just to have the chance to be with you, not the guarantee, but even just the chance that maybe, just maybe, you would accept him to your life and say yes to Jesus. Jesus was like, you know what? For that, for that last day, I'm willing to give my life because he has the end in mind. He's persevering with the end in mind. So don't just begin with the end in mind, persevere with the end in mind. Turn your neighbor and say, persevere with the end in mind. And see, because we have the Bible, we have the benefit of knowing who wins in the end. Guess who wins in the end? According to the Bible, Jesus wins in the end. And because of Jesus, because we have Jesus, we get to win in the end as well. And so no matter how bad things are in the moment right now, think of the last days. If you've got Jesus, you're going to be okay in the last days. That brings us to the next important phrase. Verse 2, it says, in the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as chief among the mountains. It will be raised above the hills. Would you underline this next phrase, mountain of the Lord's temple? What's that about? What's the mountain of the Lord's temple? See, different scholars will, somewhat, will interpret it somewhat differently. Some scholars like Augustine, Jerome, these early church fathers will say, that is Jesus. And I think there's a lot of truth to that. Others will say, oh, that's the mountain of the Lord's temple. That's the church. I think there's something to be said about that as well. Others say, oh, you don't spiritualize it too much. Really, the mountain of the Lord's temple, that's talking about the actual temple that was built in Jerusalem on a place called Mount Moriah, also known as Mount Zion. It's talking about that. I'm not too sure about that one. But see, here's the thing. In any event, what is clear from Isaiah chapter 2, verse 2, is that Isaiah is writing about a time when the worship of God, the mountain of God's temple, the worship of God will become the dominant thing for humanity. 
that it will become the number one concern, the most pressing thing on people's hearts is that they want to worship God. And that in the end, the only thing that's going to remain and the only thing that's really going to matter in the end is God and his kingdom. That's what we're talking about in Isaiah chapter 2, verse 2. And what's the lesson there? Is that when you make God and his kingdom the chief mountain of your life, the other problems in your life won't seem so big anymore. See, the, the, the fact is this. Jesus says, seek his kingdom first and everything else you need will be added to you. When you make God and your relationship with him and your worship of him the chief mountain of your life and you exalt it above every other mountain, the mountain called work, the mountain called your family, the mountain called your health, the mountain called your happiness, the mountain called other things, you put it above anything else and you seek God's kingdom first, God says, you're gonna be good. Because it's like the chief mountain is God and your relationship with him and all these other things won't seem such, like a, like such a big problem anymore. Amen. Amen. You might be facing what feels like a huge mountain right now, a mountain called sickness, a mountain called someone else's health problem, a mountain called COVID, a mountain called debt, a mountain called depression. You got to remember this. Whatever mountain you're facing today is small compared to the mountain of God's power, the mountain of God's presence, the mountain of God's promise, the mountain of God's sovereignty in your life. Oh, come on, if you believe that, give God a big hand, a big shout, let's play together right now. Amen. It's the chief of all mountains. And that's what Isaiah is writing down, is that God's getting this picture that one day, one day, the mountain of God's temple, the worship of God, will be the preeminent thing in all the world. And what you read, keep reading verse two, it says, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as chief among the mountains. It will be raised above the hills and all nations will stream to it. Would you underline those words? All nations will stream to it. And see, what does that mean? Is that... When, he, when it's picturing God's kingdom as a nation, or as, as, as a kingdom of different nations, a kingdom made up of people coming in from different nations, streaming to that kingdom, well, the lesson here is this. God's church is a multicultural, multicolored church. It's made up of people from all sorts of backgrounds, all sorts of colors, all sorts of cultures, all sorts of languages. The Christian church, I'm here to tell you, is not just the largest family that has ever existed. The Christian church is also the most socially, culturally, economically, ethnically, racially, linguistically diverse family that has ever existed or ever will exist. When you become a child of God, not only you become a child of God, but you become a part of the most diverse family that has ever existed or ever will exist. In the same way, let me tell you this, Thrive Church is that way as well. So that Thrive Church, in case you're wondering, in case you're kind of wondering about, depending on the faces you see in front of the camera, Thrive Church is not just a Chinese church that happens to speak English and that happens to have other people from other nationalities, many other nationalities joining with us. The fact is this, Thrive Church is a multicolored, multicultural, multi-ethnic church. And the reason why you see a lot of Asians maybe on your screen right now is because guess what? We're located in Vancouver and Vancouver has a lot of Asians, amen. That's just our context, that's who we are. But are we a Chinese church or an Asian church that just happens to speak English? No, we are a multicolored, multicultural, multi-ethnic church because that's what the kingdom of God is. Oh, come on, give God a big hand, a big shout, let's together right now. Amen. Amen. Would you turn to your neighbor and say, we're a multicolored church. We're a multicolored church. God loves you in the skin that you're in, and we love being that way as a church together, a multicolored church. Read verse three with me. What does it say? It says, many peoples 
will come and say, and that's many people from different nations, different colors, will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. God of Jacob is just another, is, 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 Jacob is another word for Israel and, uh, and another word for the Jewish people. But would you underline these two simple words? Come, let us, let us. Would you turn to him and say, let us, let us. Say, say to someone else, let us. See, see what, what's going on here? See, God is in verse three giving Isaiah a picture of people from different nations saying to another, come on, let's go and let's seek God together. Come on, let's go to the house of God. Let's go to church and let's learn of God's word together. Let's live it out together. Let's seek God's face together. And there's a lesson here for all of us here is that if you wanna have hope in your life, this is so important to know, is that growing in your relationship with God was always meant to be something you do with others, not just on your own. Growing spiritually, growing with Jesus, you know, that is all meant to be a communal thing, not always an individual thing. You know, we just finished a series here at Thrive a few weeks ago called Heart at Rest, how to have a rested heart in a restless world. And, and, and for me, if there was one extra episode, one extra week that we had in that series, I would want to do an episode called Rest in God's People. Because, you know, for me, one of the best ways that I find refreshing and I find rest and my hope is restored is when I spend time with God's people. When I, when I go to my small group on a Friday night or I, I go to prayer meeting on a Tuesday night with you guys on Zoom or I spend time with you guys on Sundays, when I'm with you guys, not just on my own all the time, but when I'm with you guys, that's when my hope is restored. That's when I, my, my, my spirit is renewed. That's when you know, I can see things a bit more clearly again because you weren't made to seek God just by yourself all the time. You were made to do it with a community. Amen, amen. Let us, everyone say, let us. And see, if you want to maintain a hopeful heart in the midst of waiting, don't isolate yourself. Don't just be, oh, this is just my little thing with God. It's me and God, me and God, just me and God. I don't need anyone else. But no, you need to be part of a community that's following Jesus together. That's where you get encouragement. That's where you get support. That's how you can encourage and support others. That's how we grow. And that's why, you know, it was just really touching after one of our meetings recently, we had one one sister in our church who admitted, you know, I'm going through a really tough time right now, and I, I just really need to reach out to people right now. I just really need to be with other people right now. And I was like, you know, so good for you. So good that you're doing that, girl. So good, because that's exactly what you need to do. Don't wait for others to reach out to you. You reach out to them. You find that community, because that's how we grow. That's how we stay alive. That's how we keep our hope alive. Amen. Amen. Don't isolate yourself. Get in a small group if you haven't yet. You know, be in, a, be in a prayer meeting with us on Tuesdays. Do what you can to be part of a community because that's how you keep hope alive is being part of a community that's following Jesus together. Verse three, keep on going. It says, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. Would you underline that part? He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. In fact, if you you can circle or underline, especially the words, so that. Everyone say, so that, so that. See, why? Because here's the thing. Notice this. He says, he, that's God, will teach us his ways when we go to his house so that we may walk in his paths. Notice this. The reason God teaches us his ways is not so that we can be entertained. 
Not so that we can be a spectator and laugh and cry and just go home as, and not be changed. It's not, he doesn't teach us ways so that we can have academic knowledge. He doesn't, he doesn't, give us, he doesn't teach us ways so that we can just have, you know, have nothing to do, but he teaches us his ways so that we can walk in his ways. We can walk in his path. See, if you want to have a healthy spiritual life, if you want to be a mature follower of Jesus, if you want to keep a hopeful heart in a time of waiting, you need to have the right attitude when it comes to the Bible, when it comes to listening to sermons, when it comes to reading God's word, is that God's, you got to recognize that God's word is not here simply for my entertainment, to make me laugh, to make me cry, just to touch me. No, it's not about that. It's about, it's not about your entertainment. It's about your edification. It's about building you up. See, if you listen to sermons only for the entertainment value, how much it made you laugh, how much it made you cry, and all the, or, you, or you listen to sermons only for their academic value to increase your head knowledge, tell me something I don't already know, then guess what's going to happen? You're going to be someone who's got very big head, very big ears, very big stomach because you're consuming a lot, but little hands, little feet, and little heart. Because you know what happens? Is that when you have got the wrong, you know, consumer-oriented, you know, attitude toward the Bible, toward the ser- toward sermons, what's gonna happen? You're not gonna grow. You're just gonna get a big head, big ears, because you're always you're always listening to something, but you're not doing anything about it. You know, you've got you know, a big mouth because maybe you like to talk about it, you got a big stomach because you like to consume it, but you've got little hands, little feet, because you're not doing anything with it. And a little heart, because it's it's not getting in there. And and this is the thing. If you want to grow in your relationship with God, it's about learning to listen to God's word with a teachable heart. Amen. It's about saying, I'm not just here to be entertained. I'm not just here to be even just touched. I'm here to get to know Jesus. I'm here to grow more like him. I'm here to live more like him. He will teach us his ways so that we can walk in his paths. See, we listen to God's word so we can walk in his ways. That's what discipleship is. And see, we need to have a right attitude toward God's word. Turn to him and say, God, have the right attitude. God, have the right attitude. Do you have the right attitude today? It's kind of like, you know what? I'm not just here to be entertained and oh, let me just see what he says to make me laugh. No, it's not about that. It's about how am I going to take what I'm learning today, you know, through the brokenness of what's going on right now, how can I take the perfect word of God and allow it to be into my life, apply it so that I can have a life that's more and more like Jesus. Amen? Verse 3 says, the law will go out from Zion. And by the way, the name Zion probably means a lot of different things in the Bible. Zion is the name, the mountain where the temple in Jerusalem was built. By extension, Zion is also uh, uh, sometimes a reference to Jerusalem and all of Israel sometimes. And so that sometimes that's what's talking about. By further extension, sometimes Zion is talking about the entire church, you know, the worldwide body of Christians. But it goes, says, the law will go from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. See what's going on is that God is giving Isaiah a picture of the day when instead of nations always being at war, nations will live at peace. And he says this, he says, they will beat their swords into plowshares. What are plowshares? What's a plowshare? A plowshare is a cutting blade used on a plow. 
when you're plowing the, the ground of a farm is that, is, is that a plowshare is, is that which cuts. It's a, it's a blade that cuts through the ground when you're towing a plow. What's a pruning hook? Because it says, you know, they will take their spears into pr- pruning hooks. Uh, a pruning hook is a blade you use to prune a tree so it can be even more fruitful. See, what's God saying? God is saying that one day people will take their weapons of war that they were using to kill one another and they're gonna use it for something far more productive. And, you know, if you go to New York City, once, you know, long, long, long time ago, Pastor Shar, she was, you know, in a very high-profile job in Manhattan. I went to visit her because she was so busy in her office. I hardly got to see her, but I got to see a lot of New York. Uh, and one place I went to was the UN headquarters. And at the UN headquarters, there is in the, one of the gardens of the UN, the United Nations headquarters, there's a statue that you can see there that looks a little bit like this. I'm going to show you a picture of it right now. And, and this statue is built based on Isaiah chapter 2, verse 4. It's the statue of a man. And uh, notice I mean, this muscular man. Great that they use a picture of me to, as the model. I'm kidding. It's a, it, but it's, it, there's a statue of a man using his hammer to beat his sword into a plowshare. So you can notice that, that the sword is becoming a plowshare. And, and see, that, that's the picture that God is describing in Isaiah chapter 2, verse 4, is this idea that one day there will be a time when people are going to drop their weapons, and instead of using them for something destructive, they're going to use them for something productive. They're going to use them for something, for, instead of using it for something divisive, they're going to use it for something that unifies, and that creates love in this world. And that's what happens when you give Jesus room in your life. See, he starts to change you from the inside out is that it starts affecting the way you relate to others. You know, you know I, I love it when you know, one of my favorite things when we used to meet on site here at Thrive Church is that we'd have married couples who would come to the church and you can kind of tell that they've been arguing. <laughs> you gotta t- kind of tell that they didn't have a great car ride over to the church site. And then I see them when they're walking out of the church building at the end of the church and they're holding hands, they're laughing, they're maybe making babies later. You know, it, it's one of those things where, where it's like, that, that's just the power of being in God's presence is that when you give room to Jesus, he takes all that energy that we would use to hold grudges against one another, to fight one another, to attack one another, and now we can spend, it, you spend that energy doing it some, something much, much more productive like making babies, amen. And see, here's the thing, is, is the biggest lesson of Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter two at least, is that before you can really have peace with others, you first need to have peace with God. You first need peace with God. Why is that? is because until you see God for who God is, it's tough to see yourself for who you are, and it's tough to see others for who they are. And it all begins with God. Otherwise, if you don't get the God part first, you're gonna very likely have a distorted view of yourself and other people, a misunderstood, a misunderstood view of yourself and people, and it's gonna to lead to the wrong way of treating people. That's why you know, there's a lot, of, you know, a lot of stuff about racism, racism these days, a lot of incidents of just blatant racism in our city here in Vancouver, uh, you know, across, our, you know, across North America, and, and it's just one of those things where we need to stand up to racism, amen? We need to stand up to it, we need to, you know, you take a stand for justice, protests have their place, legal challenges in court have their place, laws definitely have their place as well. But let me tell you this, only God can change a heart. Only God can change a person's heart. What you need to do, if you want to have peace in your relationships at home, if you want to have peace with the people around you, it begins with making peace with God first. 
See, you can have other mountains in your life, the mountain called your family, the mountain called your work, the mountain called your health, the mountain called your happiness, your ministry, your friendships, but if you truly want peace in your life, hope in your heart, it begins with making the worship of God the chief mountain in your life. That's why Isaiah writes in verse five, he says, come, O house of Jacob, that's another word for the land of Judah, the people of the Jewish people. And but he's talking about basically us, it applies to us as well as the church. Come, O house of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Let us walk in the light of the Lord. What does it mean to walk in the light of the Lord? See, it means more than just doing the right thing. It means having a relationship with Jesus and walking with him who is the light of the world. And see, before we can have peace with others, we'd have peace with ourselves. That's why, you know, the Bible describes our situation as this, is that, you know, is that all of us were at one time enemies of God. We were all at war with God. We were like, you know, I don't want to do things your way, God. I'm going to do things my way, rebelling against him, doing things our way. That's called sin. Sin damages our relationships with people. It distorts our view of ourselves. More than anything, it destroys our relationship with God such that we can't have anything to do with God. That's why the Bible says the wages of sin is death, i.e. because of my sin. I can't have anything to do with God. Not now, not forever, not here, not in heaven. I can't have anything to do with God because of my sin, but because God loves us so much. Because he's not just holy, but he's merciful. He's not just just, but he's compassionate. He's not just strong, but he suffers. He's not just powerful, but he's vulnerable. And he loves you. Because of that, he sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross for our sins so that we could have a way back to God, so that our sins could be forgiven. And not only did Jesus die on the cross for our sins to pay for our sins, even more on the third day, Jesus rose again from the grave to show that you can place all of your trust in Jesus. And that those who place their trust in Jesus, not only are forgiven of their their sins, they are children of God, and they have what Jesus calls eternal life. Oh, come on, give God a big hand, a big shout, and let's play together right now. Amen. It's because God knew that before you could have peace with others, you first have to make peace with God. And God took it upon himself. He took the initiative and said, I'm going to make peace first. To end this war between you and me, God said, I'm going to sacrifice myself and end this war. All you need to do is make peace with me. Have you made peace with God through Jesus Christ by trusting in him? We're going to give you an opportunity to do that in just a bit. But let me just end today by just recapping some of the most important lessons we've learned about how to keep your hope alive in a time of waiting. One is this, is just as Isaiah heard God's word, you need to hear God's word. Spend time listening to God's word because it will so much give you perspective and clarity on whatever situation you're in. That's one, hear God's word. Number two, don't just focus on the moment you're in. Keep the last days in sight. Remember God's vision for your life. Think of how you want your story to end and live your life in light of that vision, that ending. You want to persevere with the end in mind. Number three, you want to remember that the mountain that you're facing today, whatever it might be, whatever problem is in your life, it is small compared to the mountain of God's power in your life, the mountain of God's presence in your life. That's the chief mountain. It's God himself. Number four, if you want hope in your life, get together with other followers of Jesus. Let us go up to the mountain of God's temple. It's because Jesus says, where two or more are gathered, there am I as well. When you get into community with others who are following Jesus, it's it's one of the best ways you can get more hope into your life. And so join a small group, join a prayer meeting, at least join our Facebook community group, do something to get in community with others. Number five, you want hope in your life? Read God's word with a teachable heart. 
Not just, oh, entertain me. You know, here we are now, entertain us. No, it's, it's about, you know, what can I learn? How can, how can I apply this to my life? How can, how can I allow this to make me a better lover of God, a better lover of people? Number six, make your worship of God the chief mountain of your life. You know, one day when Jesus comes again in the last days, Isaiah 2 won't just be something that we read. Isaiah 2 will be a reality. It will be a dream come true. Is that one day, every knee will bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And God, his kingdom, will be that chief mountain that is high above every other mountain that we see. But guess what? You don't need to wait until Jesus returns to start making God your chief mountain. In fact, you shouldn't. You want to start that now. When you make God your chief mountain, you have hope for tomorrow that no one can take away from you. Finally, if you want to have peace with others, it begins with you getting, getting peace with God. And that comes through a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's about walking in the light of the Lord. It's about having a relationship with Jesus. And so with that in mind, that I want to just lead you in a time where you can respond to God today. And I want to first pray for those of you who maybe never opened up your heart to Jesus. Maybe you've never asked Jesus for his forgiveness. Maybe you're here today and it's your first time at church and it's the first time you've ever heard that God loves you with an unconditional love, that nothing you do could make God love you more. Nothing you've done could make him close the door. He just loves you so much that he sent Jesus Christ for you, but you've never opened up your heart to him. You've never said, yes, Jesus, I need your forgiveness. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. If that's you, we wanna pray for you and with you right now. And we wanna do that by inviting you to scan the QR code that's on your screen or you can click the link that's in your chat room. Would you go to that and it'll take you to a page which is a prayer that you can pray. And you can take a look at that prayer before we pray, but I'm gonna pray this with you so you're not doing this on your own. And this is a simple way for us to open up our hearts and ask Jesus to forgive us of our sins. This is the beginning of having peace in your life. It's about asking Jesus' forgiveness to enter your life so that you can have peace with God and then have peace with others. You can learn to forgive. You can learn to move on from past hurts, but it all begins with a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so if that's you, would you just click that link or would you, you, would you scan that QR code? And uh, we're just gonna pray this together right now. And if you don't see it, you can, you can just repeat after me. You can just say, dear Jesus, thank you that because you love me, you died on the cross to pay for my sins. You rose again to give me life. Today, I open up my heart and I ask you, please forgive me of my sins. Please fill me with your Holy Spirit. I place my trust, not in what I do, but in what you've done for me. In Jesus' name I pray, amen, amen. Hey, guess what? If you prayed that prayer and you meant that from your heart, then the Bible has an amazing promise for you, which is that you are forgiven of your sins. You are a child of God. You are a citizen of heaven. And you have the hope that when all these years on earth are done, you know where you're going. You're going to be with God, with Jesus in heaven. And that's an amazing promise to hang on to. If you are here and you made that prayer today or you recently prayed that prayer uh, here at Thrive Church Online or elsewhere, we want to encourage you to take that next natural step of, you know, of expressing your faith in Jesus by getting baptized. Baptism is not a graduation. It's not you saying, oh, look how good I am. I'm perfect. Got no more questions. I've read the Bible backwards and forwards. I've been a Christian for 50 years. No, it's about you saying that I believe in Jesus. I've asked him to forgive my sins 
And, and that's really what baptism is all about. It's about just declaring that not because of how good I am or how clean I am, but it's how good God is that he sent Jesus Christ for me. And so we want to encourage you to take that next step. It's a, it's a small, simple step. A lot of people, they get baptized on the same day that they pray this prayer. But we want to make this available to you two weeks from now at our baptism weekend, April 24, April 25. You can go to mythought.info and click the link for more information on baptism, to sign up for baptism, for questions about baptism. You can go to that. Uh, you can also meet us at Meet the Pastors next week. We'd love to answer any questions you have as well. But can we give all of our friends who prayed that prayer just now a big hand, a big shout in this place together right now? Praise God. The second group of people we want to pray for today are those of you who find that you've had a tough time maintaining a hopeful heart in a time of waiting. And it may be because you find that you're living in a war zone right now. Maybe you're in the middle of a war, whether it's with yourself or it's with someone in your life or it's with just the fact that things are really tough right now. I believe that God wants you to know that there is hope that is bigger than your circumstances when you come to him. And if that's you and you know that you need that, I'm going to encourage you today just to do what Isaiah did. Let's come to God right now. And let's we just want to lift up your hands to God. Let the height of your hands reflect how much you need him today. And in your own words, you start, start talking to God right now. In your own words, you start responding to what you've learned today through God's word. Would you thank God that he doesn't just see you where you are today or where you were yesterday, but he sees you a year from now. He sees you five years from now. He sees you 50 years from now. And he promises he, work, he works all things out for good. We just praise God for that in your own words. Just start talking to God from now, right now. Just respond to the message right now. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Don't worry about your neighbor. It doesn't concern them. You just start talking to God. He's here. He's listening. He loves you. Just start talking to God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Father. Praise your name. Praise you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Praise your name. 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 Praise your name, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. If you are here and you realize that you need some of God's hope in your life today, why don't you lift up your hand to God right now? And why don't you pray this prayer with me? Say, Dear Jesus, I need you. Thank you for showing me today that I can have hope even in the time of waiting. Help me, God, to hear your word for my situation, to not just focus on the moment, but to keep the last days in sight, to persevere with the end in mind. Thank you that the mountain I'm facing today is nothing compared to the mountain of your power the mountain of your promise, the mountain of your sovereignty in my life. Help me, God, to stay connected to my church, to have a teachable heart, to make you the chief mountain of my life, knowing that one day when you come again, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. I declare that now that you are my savior, you are my God, you are my king, and I'm here to worship you. Thank you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Would you give God a big hand, a big shout in this place together right now? Oh, come on, there's more in you than that. Give God all of your praise in this place.
We're going to continue giving God our worship through song. Going to hand the time to our worship band to lead you in this next song. Let's give our very best to God. At the same time, if you call to our church or home church, we just believe the work that's God, that God is doing here. Let's worship God by giving him our faithful tithes, our generous offerings, knowing that when we seek God's kingdom first, he adds what? He adds He adds everything we need. And so let's make God our chief mountain today and every day. Let's worship God through songs, through giving. At the end, I'm going to pray one final prayer with you before we close. Let's do that together right now. Deeper still as you call me 
Deeper still as you call me Deeper still into love, love, love As you call me Deeper still as you call me Deeper still as you call me Deeper still into love, love, love You're a good, good Father It's who you are, it's who you are It's who you are and I love I you It's who I am, it's who I am It's who I am You're a good, good Father It's who you are, it's who you are It's who you are it's who I am, it's who I am, it's who I am. Oh, come on, give God a big hand, a big shout. Let's play together right now. I think there's more you need than that. Give God all of your praise in this place. Praise God. You guys are an amazing church. That's the beginning of our brand new series, Isaiah, Waiting for Sunrise. Stay tuned for episode two next week. You do not want to miss it. Also sign up for Meet the Pastors on Zoom. Uh, that's happening next Sunday after each of our services. In addition to that, baptism weekend coming up two weeks from now. Don't miss this opportunity. If you haven't gotten baptized yet, sign up at mythought.info and to get more information, let's end off with uh, uh, just this prayer. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you so much for being the God who isn't just about what's happening today, but you're the God of our tomorrow, you're the God of generations, you're the God of eternity, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. And Father, we thank you so much that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, for us, so that we could know that even in a time of waiting, we can have hope. And we thank you, Jesus, that because you died on the cross for our sins and you rose again from the grave, that we can still say the best is yet to come. And so with all that in mind, we pray all of your blessing, your protection, your presence, your provision, your healing, your comfort, your strength, your wisdom, and your Holy Spirit to fill each and every person watching right now, listening in right now, until we next meet again. We thank you and say, let your kingdom come. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. One more time, let's give God a big hand, a big shout, and let's play together right now. We love you guys. You guys are an amazing church. We'll see you guys next week for episode two of Waiting for Sunrise, looking through the book of Isaiah. Have an amazing start to your week. God is with you. God loves you. We love you too. Have a great one, everybody. Love you guys. Take care. Thank you, Pastor JB. Before I let you guys go, I have a few announcements. If it's the first time here, you're a VIP, so please let us know by texting you at 604-285-5770 or mytharta.info and we'll mail you your very own Thrive Stainless Steel water bottle. If you joined us recently here at Thrive in the last couple of weeks or months, and if you haven't met the pastors yet, we would love to meet you. So join us for Meet the Pastors on Zoom on April the 18th. This is a great opportunity for you to meet new friends, get to know about Thrive Church, ask us questions, for example, about baptism. So join us and sign up for more information on mythrive.info. If you pray the prayer to receive Jesus Christ into your life today, congratulations, we have a gift package that was sent to you, as well as a series of videos that may answer some questions that you have about Jesus, which is sex belief at 604-285-5770 or go to mythrive.info. During COVID-19, baptism may look a little bit different than normal, but we're still committed to making this a great and memorable experience for you, as well as making it safe for everyone involved. 
So we are having baptism weekend on April the 24th and 25th, which is a Saturday and a Sunday. So to sign up or for more information, go to mytharthainfo slash baptism. Did you enjoy today's message? Join us again next week for episode two, our Waiting for Sunrise. That's it for this week. I hope you all have a great day. Don't forget to give your tithes and offerings, and I'll see you all next week here at Thrive Church Online. 